This is The Global Gambit. In The Global Gambit podcast, we focus on the big picture of geopolitics, foreign policy and current affairs. Each episode, your host, Piotr Curzon, brings you interviews and panels with top-tier academics, journalists and policymakers. Seeking to make sense of the news, go beyond what's presented to us and question and critically analyse these matters. This is The Global Gambit. Greetings, Internet, and welcome back. What is the potential implications of the Turkish election? How significant could they be for not just the domestic, but the foreign policy of the country? When I think of Turkey, I think of a lot of different fingers in pies, if that makes sense, because Turkey is such a pivotally important country for so many different issues. Um, and this election in just over a week in the country is is going to be absolutely, I think, pivotal. And um, joining me today to talk about those things is Gunu Toll, um, one of my favorite, and I genuinely mean that, everybody. You must check out her profile on the Middle East Institute, director of the Turkey program at MEI. We've been lucky enough to have some speakers from there before, um, but I'm delighted to to welcome uh, you, Gunu, to, to the Global Gambit. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Piotr, and thanks for the kind words. I'm I'm really flattered. Um, you know, everywhere across the world, politicians say that the upcoming elections in their country is an existential vote. And in Turkey's case, that is actually true. The upcoming elections is going to be a selection between a democracy and autocracy. So you don't find that the, I love the fact that you go straight into it, by the way, you don't find that the, there is a over a hyperbole around the election. You, you think that it really is as important as, as many commentators are, are suggesting. And could you outline a little bit for us why, why that is? Just could you, could you maybe give us a very broad overview of the candidates, what's at play here, and then we can dive into some uh, details on some specifics? It's, it's, it's indeed an ex- existential election in the sense that if, if President Erdogan wins another term, uh, the country is uh, going to further degenerate into uh, authoritarianism where elections will not matter. Right now, Turkey is considered to be an autocratic country, so there are elections, uh, it's, uh, and, and the elections are competitive, the race is competitive, but the elections are not free and fair. But if you talk to people on the ground in Turkey, you'll see that excitement, that people are mobilized and opposition supporters genuinely believe that change is possible uh, through elections. So that means that, that the majority of the country still have a lot of faith in the electoral process. And that's a must if you want to rebuild democracy in any country, in any setting. So that's, that's, that's great news. But I think if the opposition, if Erdogan wins another term, I think people will lose that faith in the electoral process. So I see that more of a possibility in Turkey because Turkish politics under Erdogan is going to be even more unstable, given the, given the dire state of Turkish uh, economy, uh, institutional problems, the post-earthquake context. So Turkey is going to be more unstable. And autocrats, when they face unstable domestic uh, context, they double down on repression and pursue uh, an even more aggressive uh, foreign policy abroad. Uh, and obviously, Turkey has been playing a, a, an important role uh, in international affairs. So the 
election results will have implications not just for the country's domestic politics and regime type, but it will also have an impact on what Turkey does beyond it, its borders. And I'll say this and I'll stop. I think the most important implication is going to be for the future of democracy across the world. Uh, if pro-democracy actors in Turkey manage to beat down an entrenched autocrat like Erdogan, mm. um, I think we will have more hope for the future of democracy. We are living at a time when autocracy is surging. But but if pro-democracy forces win elections, uh, I think people will believe in the prospects of autocrats can be brought down uh, through elections. So that's an interesting overview. Um, and I appreciate you giving that to us. And that kind of leads me to a question which was floating around in the back of my mind uh, when I attended the Chatham House event yesterday and listening to you and uh, the fellow uh, speakers. Why isn't there seemingly more positive, upbeat energy around this election, right? Um, and, And to premise my point or question is because, as you say, this is so symbolically important for potentially just how many things it could improve now i don't want to get over you know get too carried away but you know this really could be an opportunity to see a more constructive turkey in so many different theaters and issues right a more constructive partner in nato a more constructive member of the middle east dynamic um helping to resolve the humanitarian migration crisis although i'm sure we can unpack that and the details there um more of a hopefully constructive approach to northern africa you know again i'm sort of positing a lot of different examples here but why does there seem to be a sense of i don't know Caution, is that maybe the right word to use? Is it because it's not guaranteed that Erdogan will be beaten? Or because the candidate, I've always struggled to pronounce his name, to be honest with you. Um, is it because he is a bit of an unknown entity? And the op- and, and, and I've, I've got a follow on question, actually, but. If you have if you have any thoughts on that. Sure. I think I think I, I'm not sure whether I agree with that assumption that there's not enough um, uh, enthusiasm around the elections. There's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy, especially among the opposition supporters. If you follow any uh, rally held by uh, an opposition leader, Kılıçdaroğlu, Imamoğlu or others, you will see Mm. the energy. So there's a lot of hope. Uh, People, for the first time in many years, maybe in 20 years, people are hopeful that that change is actually possible. So I see that energy. Um, you talk to people, you talk to young people, you talk to people who want change, and they are are full of optimism. But on the other hand, uh, they understand, uh, as Lula supporters said in Brazilian elections, uh, you know, uh, Lula is not going to be the door to heaven. He's going to be the door out of hell. So there is a similar <laughs> sense of sense of caution on that on that regard. People understand that the stakes are very high, and we could, on May fifteenth, wake up to a completely different Turkey. Uh, and so many people have been longing for for that. But on the other hand, they understand that not everything is going to be rosy. Because the new government will be inheriting 
a, a long, huge list of problems from a broken economy to a broken uh, system to the rule of law. So the, the, the new government will basically have to rebuild the country from scratch. And that's a very difficult thing to do. What makes it even more difficult is the fact that we are the, the, the team that's going to be in charge of that is a team of diverse ideologically, politically diverse group of parties. And what keeps them together is their anti-Erdogan stand. So uh, some assume that, well, what will happen once Erdogan is not in the picture? How are you going to keep that diverse coalition together to to promise uh, what they have to do what they have promised to do. So that's why there is also, there's optimism, but there's caution. And there is one more factor that makes people cautious and some somewhat pessimistic is, is this assumption that Erdogan, even if he loses the elections, he's not just going to walk away. Now that's different. I think that is, people still still believe that if the elections were held free and fair, uh, opposition would certainly win. But obviously, they're neither free nor fair. And Erdogan, uh, he has so much to lose. He's just not going to accept the election results. So that's also what makes some people pause. Uh, and I understand that. As someone who has worked on election security in Turkey, observed and took part in Tur- Turkish civil society organizations' efforts to protect the ballot, I understand all those concerns. So it's not entirely unfounded. But on the other hand, I would say this, Turkey is not Russia. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Election, <laughs> elections still do matter. Uh, even, even Putin, he cannot, autocrats cannot really engage in the crudest forms of election rigging. Not the 21st century autocrats. They cannot use repression alone to stay in power. They need uh, the veneer of legitimacy to stay mm-hmm. in power. And these people, these autocrats, they come to power in the name of the people. And the, the, the main basis of their legitimacy is is election. So that's why there are only so much that they can do to rig the elections. They engage in sophisticated election rigging, don't, they, don't get me wrong. But if it's, an, it's outright fraud, that's going to create a backlash. And we've seen that in 2019 elections in Istanbul, right? When Erdogan lost Istanbul in 2019, he didn't accept the result and he called for a rerun. And he won even by, he lost even by a bigger margin. So people in Turkey love elections. <laughs> and that's why I think, I think Erdogan has to be careful in what he's going to do on the day of the election. And the second point that I would say uh, to those who are extremely anxious uh, about election security is this. I think uh, in autocracies, even if autocrats don't accept results, and we've seen this in this country, mm-hmm. not just in autocracies, but in democracies too. Remember, Trump didn't accept the results and he could have had his way had it not for being for, for the institutions in this country. So if bureaucracy holds its ground, uh, that changes everything. So imagine a scenario where Erdogan loses the elections by a um, narrow margin, doesn't accept the result, uh, calls his supporters to the streets and there's street violence, what will change the election results? I think where Turkish bureaucracy stands is the key there. And I'm not 100% sure that Turkish bureaucracy will back an Erdogan who has just lost elections and wants bureaucracy to overturn the results. 
So what I would say to that is, um, I, I think one of the things that fascinates me most is the Russian-Turkish relationship. Um, I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again for our speak for our listeners. But I, I consider Turkey a bit of a Russia light in the sense of both our uh, competitively authoritarianistic regimes, which is just a fancy way of saying that they have all the aspects of a democracy. They hold elections, but the elections aren't really fair and free. Um, they are supposed to have, you know, an independent judicial system, but there's a politicalization. That's sort of where Hungary is going, right? You can put every country on a political spectrum from liberal democracy to totalitarian state. And Turkey and Russia are an interesting hybrid regime. And I think Turkey is a little bit less of an version of Russia because uh, Erdogan still has to win favor with his electorate, whilst Putin basically well, doesn't. But I want to unpack a little bit more the candidate who is challenging um, Erdogan. If you could take us through a little bit about him, his backers, the opposition coalition, because I think a lot of people aren't, uh, they're interested in Turkey, but maybe don't know the intricate details. Um, but also a sort of tag on question to that is, could this not be a potential obstacle in the sense of we have a coalition of opposition parties whose biggest commonality is their mutual desire to see Erdogan gone. If they achieve that, does that not lead to the potential for infighting, political paralysis, because, well, they have different you know, ideas about dealing with the uh, humanitarian crisis, the economy, um, foreign policy towards Ukraine, name it. So what's your perspectives on that i guess i would say on kılıçdaroğlu he is kemal kılıçdaroğlu is the opposition bloc's uh, presidential candidate and he is the polar opposite he's a man who is considered to be very honest he's known for his war against corruption um he is a man who believes in institutions uh, and he is a former bureaucrat. Actually, I think it was in the 1990s where he was awarded as the, the, the bureaucrat of the year. So Erdogan is none of these things. He's after 20 years in power, his regime has been seen as, as a perfect example of how power corrupts. Corruption is so widespread and has become so systemic under Erdogan's rule. Uh, and he does not believe in institutions. He actually has destroyed the country's institutions. So there is today nothing except for one man who calls all the shots. And that's why the opposition pledges to rebuild the country's institutions uh, from, from scratch. And he is a populist leader. He He's a very polarizing figure. He often plays the culture uh, card. Uh, attacks the LGBTQ community, he mobilizes people, uh, he divides people along uh, religious, ethnic, and sectarian lines. Uh, whereas Kılıçdaroğlu, his campaign narrative is a very unifying narrative. He released an excellent video uh, in which he embraced his Alevi identity. Uh, and many of them, when people started circulating his name as a potential candidate, a lot of people paused because they thought this is not a great idea. He's he's old. He's not charismatic, and he's uh, he's not a member of the Sunni majority. So Erdogan is definitely gonna attack him on that. 
So he stands zero chance against Erdogan. So that was the narrative. And then uh, here we are. We have a man. Uh, he's, yes, not young. He's not very charismatic. And yet, I think he turned out to be a better campaigner than many of us had expected. He is known to be Turkey's quiet force. So he, no matter how much attack Erdogan uh, unleashes on him, he's always quiet. And I think that's exactly what Turkey needs at the moment. That's why I call Kılıçdaroğlu Turkey's Biden. And this is Turkey's <laughs> Biden moment. Because remember, when uh, back in 2019, during the primaries, when mm. uh, we were talking about whether Biden was going to win the primaries, everyone was saying he shouldn't, he's not charismatic, he's old, he doesn't stand a chance against mm. Trump. No, 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 he's not, he's not the man. And yet, he won the primaries and he won the election. And I think mainly because he was the right man for for that very moment, because he was a person who could unify a very polarized country. He was a person who could reach across the aisle, talk to the Republicans. Uh, so so Kılıçdaroğlu is, is that guy, is Turkey's Biden, in a sense that he can talk to anyone and he can be this unifying figure. So that's why I think... Uh, the person who is going to win the next elections is going to will be sitting on a lot of power afforded by the executive presidency. And but I isn't think... there just to interject on that? But isn't there polls illustrating that the two are quite close? That's right. This is going to be a tight race. But but again, remember, this is a, 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 an autocracy. So even despite how much how Erdogan manipulated the playing field in his favor. This is still a tight race. Even AKP's own polls suggest that this is not going to be easy for Erdogan. So that is, I think, you have to give it to the opposition. I think they are doing a good job. Mm -hmm. They managed to unify. And remember, autocrats, they don't need majorities to stay in power, to destroy democracy. All they need is divided oppositions. And this time around, Turkey managed to unify around one candidate, we have other contenders, which really risks um, winning in the first round. But still, I think this is good enough. So in that regard, I think the opposition is doing a good job. And I think your question about whether Erdogan, um, if Erdogan is gone, will the opposition disintegrate? I think that's spot on. And you're right. Uh, One thing that, that unites these people together, brings them together, the opposition bloc, is they all want Erdogan gone. And once he's gone, what is what is gonna keep them together? And this is my this is how I think. I think Erdogan will not be gone. Even if he loses the elections, he's gonna stay around. So we're not gonna see we're not gonna see a Bolsonaro scenario here where Erdogan <laughs> flees the country, uh, goes to definitely not going to Florida to eat chicken. Uh, but I think he's gonna but he's definitely gonna be around because remember. Erdogan is still, despite everything, all the problems that we're facing today and all of them Erdogan's own doing, still he commands 40 to 40 percent of the vote. So he's still pretty popular. And I think if the the opposition wins, he's going to be sticking around waiting for the opposition to fail. So maybe like what Netanyahu did, right? Mm-hmm. So he can come back with a vengeance. So well, I was, was going to say, actually, this just it just makes me think of Israel. The, the situation with uh, Bibi Netanyahu 
uh, for listeners and uh, viewers, you know, Israel has had its obviously democratic constitutional crises. We had uh, we had Nadav Yal, um, well-known Israeli commentator, and he was saying very similar to what you're saying, which is if you don't have the entity, i.e. Um, this opposition group coalition cooperating effectively, then if it disintegrates, well, then that just leads the perfect opportunity of the one you know resilient individual to come back through and it will see erdogan suddenly coming back on along it's like that's the last thing i want to see to be honest with you but it, it is giving me vibes of of israel how optimistic do you feel about the coalition's resiliency and what do you think that their priorities are going to be when if they win what would be their what would be top of the agenda um, you know, domestic or foreign policies or a mixture of everything? Uh, well, obviously, as I said, since Erdogan is going to be around this, just that gives the opposition bloc a, a big motivation to stick together, even after winning the elections, because he can he can come back uh, any day, right? So they have to stick together and they have to stick together to be able to carry out all the promises that they've made. They need the Kurdish support as well if they want to pass anything in the parliament, right? So that is a strong motivation. And I think their priority is going to be tackling the economic crisis. That's uh, number one worry of the voters. So uh, they put together, the opposition put together an excellent um, uh, economy team. I think they're all top rate um, economists, uh, professors, analysts, analysts. uh, so I think it, they have an advantage there, but obviously it's going to be extremely difficult to undo all the damage that Erdogan has done in the 20 years, including because to fix economic problems, you can't just fix economy by by fixing economy, right? You, just, you have to build trust in the institutions. You have to rebuild those institutions. You have to make sure that the central bank is independent again. So there is a lot to do before you can address the economic problem. So I think that will be priority number one. And number two, which is not unrelated, is is how are they going to address uh, the post-earthquake situation? 11 provinces have been hit by the earthquake, millions of people, many of them still suffering, by the way. They live in, in tents. Many of them have been relocated. They don't have jobs. There are still tens of thousands of people under the rubble. So that's a huge task and they have to, that has to be a priority as well. And uh, one of the pledges that the opposition has made is switching the country's parliamentary uh, presidential system back to a reformed form of parliamentary system. That should be a priority on the one hand, but on the other hand, again, uh, the new president is going to need a lot of political capital to be able to uh, materialize all his promises. Uh, and that means I think he's going to have to wait. He's going to wait a couple of years before switching back to a parliamentary system, because, again, he's going to need those powers afforded to the president by the uh, the, the Turkish style presidency Erdogan has established. And there is also the, the Kurdish problem. I think what makes this this um, election uh, dramatically different 2018 election is the support uh, afforded by the pro-Kurdish party to the opposition candidate. Remember, in 2018, uh, the, the 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 conditions there were really different. There were little little different things, factors uh, playing out there. 
but 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 the pro-Kurdish party support is very critical because the the HDP base is a large it's a large constituency. Mm. We're talking about 10-11% and in a tight race like this one it really matters who Kurds decide to support and they decided to support Kılıçdaroğlu. So that means that after the elections the new government has to do something to resolve the Kurdish question. It's not going to happen immediately. It's a very complicated problem, but they are going to, they have to take, start taking steps immediately to, to secure Kurdish backing in the parliament for their agenda. So one of the things I'm also curious about is how much do you think that the earthquake had a direct implication on Erdogan's, well, prospects. Because uh, what I find is in times of crises, effective or ineffective crisis management for a leader, particularly an autocratic one or a semi-autocratic one, um, can be, you know, a decisive factor, right? Um, How many times have we seen this happen in, you know, past days where you suddenly get an unexpected shock event and that leads to the uh you know shift in polls for a leader to another one right you know in the uk we had our own absolute calamity with liz trusts uh and that completely changed the poll ratings around for the conservative to the labor party i know it's a bit of a far-fetched example comparison but you know it's that so do you think that that had a big role to play or, or not so much and, and and what more can be done to address the um seemingly systemic problems with uh, earthquakes because the, the the buildings seem to be all poorly constructed and, and and it could happen again you know it's a very volatile geographically speaking part of the world uh well disasters of this magnitude they they can bring down autocrats but it's not a straightforward process and um, because you need several things you first you need time because uh, because usually people after a natural crisis like this people rally around the leader because there's so much uncertainty in their lives that they they choose they go for the person who they've known they don't have to love that leader but but there's always this rally around the the leader they rally around the, the flag impact after natural crises like this and we've seen that after covid right Mm. Um, after covid for instance trump did and said all the wrong things and yet his support uh uh, he had the surge in support uh for trump right after uh, right after covid so i think we said we saw a similar thing happening in turkey as well if erdogan waited a a bit longer i think that that um, picture would turn uh, in the sense that I think people would understand as more time passed, people really feel the impacts. Even people who have not been directly impacted by the earthquake, they would feel the impact of the earthquake in their pocketbooks. It would, there would be just more debate on that. But that's one of the reasons why Erdogan didn't want to delay the elections because time was not, not on his side. So he wanted to hold the elections as soon as possible. So that's one we, reason why we did not see a dramatic drop in uh, support for Erdogan because of the earthquake. But yet earthquake did something, which was before the earthquake, there was a surge in support for Erdogan. 
in the months leading up to the earthquake. The earthquake stopped that. Uh, so in that regard, it did have an impact. And the second impact the earthquake the, uh, had on, on Turkish domestic politics was that the, the unlike Erdogan uh, and the ruling party and his ruling uh, allies, opposition parties immediately mobilized and sent mm-hmm. aid to the earthquake hit zones. And that did something that changed uh, an image that Erdogan has been trying to paint for the opposition, which was... These people only talk. They cannot fix anything. They're all talk, no action. They are very incompetent. Yeah. So I think their response, the opposition's response to the earthquake, changed that image. Uh, and it's and I think the people on the ground, the victims, appreciated that. So in that regard, I think it have an it had an an impact too. But again, it did not automatically translate into a dramatic shift or or dramatic drop in in support for Erdogan. I think uh, the the more long lasting impact is going to be felt in the months to come, and that's why I think the new government uh, dealing with with the problems caused by the earthquake is going to be one of the the priorities of the new government. Ganu, my, my final question for you in this part one of hopefully part two, when we have you back, is um, what do you think about foreign reactions? So yesterday we had, uh, you know, a question about, you know, it was mainly about Turkey outwards. But my question, similar to the uh, other one, is what about looking into Turkey? What what do you think uh, foreign entities, governments um, will be will be looking out for and, and hoping and, and and how do you think that they could engage depending upon how the election is 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 run uh, if that if that rather blurry question makes sense to you well so far i think the western countries have been quiet and maybe understandably so because in a country where anti-western uh, sentiment is is very strong. Probably uh, they don't want to do any harm to those who want change in the country, so they've been quiet. I think that's the most optimistic reading of of uh, Western response to the elections. Uh, at least I know that in this town in Washington, uh, here uh, both the administration officials and and American bureaucracy they're being very careful not to be seen as interfering in elections in any way. But but on the other hand, you ha- you have autocrats who uh, who support each other, right? Uh, Erdogan, the Saudis injected cash into Turkish economy. Russians did as well. Not in this one, but in previous elections, Chinese, Chinese President Xi Jinping came to the help of Erdogan. So you can see autocratic regimes teaming up against uh, Western democratic countries and helping each other out. Uh, so if you look at from from their point of view, what would be the ideal scenario? I think certainly, I mean, countries like Russia, for instance, they certainly want another Erdogan term in Turkey because they've Erdogan has done really well for them. Uh, after the invasion of Ukraine, Erdogan has thrown a, a, an economic lifeline to an isolated Putin um, there are uh, thousands of Russian companies set up in the country. You have Russian oligarchs uh, roaming around, welcome uh, in the country. So that is that is obviously a huge gift to Putin. And I'm not sure whether he can expect the same warm welcome from a new government. And this is not to say that uh, if there's a new government in Ankara after the elections, 
that Turkey is not going to be working with Russia. I'm not saying that at all. Yes, Turkey will work with Russia. First and foremost, it's an important trade and energy partner. So that means that you will see cooperation between the two countries, no matter who wins the elections. But maybe the difference could be maybe the new government is not going to be that willing to allow Putin to circumvent Russian sanctions, right? Mm -hmm. So that even in itself could be a huge dramatic change and might be one of the reasons why Putin wants Erdogan to win. And other countries, Gulf countries too, I think there's a funny story. I was talking to a Saudi official once and I said, how come you're now backing Erdogan? Because the Jamal Khashoggi affair left a sour taste in your mouth and especially uh, Mohammed bin Salman is not a big of Erdogan so how come you're backing him and he said well you know we don't have that notion of change of power through elections so we automatically assume that Erdogan is going to be there forever so why (laughs) don't you just work with the guy and that makes perfect sense from their point of view depressingly um depressingly uh sort of honest isn't it really it it is and (laughs) that that's right and if you look at the, the European and uh, the Western governments in general, I think I, I don't want to be cynical here. I really, I truly hope, and this is something that I've been pushing here too, that we should all be, the Western world should be, should welcome a democratic Turkey. Because as I argue in my book, what Erdogan does on the foreign policy front is not just about foreign policy. If you don't pay attention to what he's doing domestically, you're never going to understand why he's doing what he's doing on the foreign policy Mm -hmm. front. If a country turns autocratic, it's not just the problem of the citizens of that country. Those autocrats become your problems. And we've seen that (laughs) in Ukraine, right? So that's why Western countries should embrace a democratic Turkey, support a democratic Turkey. But I'm not quite sure whether things will turn out that way because you have a, a, a European Union which has formed this transactional partnership with mm-hmm. Erdogan. They have long given up on Turkish democracy and constantly focusing uh, uh, on uh, the, the refugee deal. So imagine if the opposition wins and you see a, a, a new country, a, a more democratic country, will the EU have the excuse that it has used under Erdogan, which was Turkey is an authoritarian country, it cannot become a member of EU. They won't have that excuse anymore. So if they don't have that excuse, what is what are they going to say? Yeah, sorry, it really doesn't matter whether you're democratic or authoritarian. It's just because you're Muslim and we don't we don't want more Muslims. So that's going to be inconvenient. Uh, from Washington's point of view, it could be a little different. Not that this town pays a lot of attention to Turkish democracy, but really? I can easily, oh. I can easily, at least from the administration point of view, and we're talking about an administration that has been saying that democracy and human rights is the backbone of their foreign policy. And it, I mean, Biden shook hands with, with Mohammed bin Salman, right? So when it, it's always geostrategic ge- 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 concerns, Trump concerns over democracy and human rights, right? Uh, so I think, but I, but but on the other hand, I haven't completely lost hope. I think there are those both in the administration and in the Congress who really want to see a more democratic Turkey and who would welcome a more democratic Turkey. Okay. Well, thank you very much, um, Gunu. I am deliberately steering away from foreign policy for this, as I say, preview 
because I would love to have you back uh, for a second part, maybe with um, Gunnell, who actually dropped into the Twitter space briefly, a couple of other people to have a deeper dive. You know, I want to discuss neo-Ottomanism, discuss Horn of Africa, I want to discuss Ukraine, I want to discuss the Middle East and the Caucasus, obviously, Cyprus. Um, but I think those are all things that we can have in a post-election analysis. Well, there you have it, everyone. Um, a preview, I guess you could say of the uh, Turkish election, predominantly focusing on domestic challenges, uh, the candidates a little bit. Um, uh, in part two, we will have a foreign policy specific focus. Uh, Gnu, before we end this episode, is there any takeaways you want to emphasize for our listeners? Anything you want to really underline about the uh, the election? I'm always in this town, I'm asked of my opinion about what I see as the most likely uh, scenario. And this is what I think. And I keep saying this because uh, by nature, I'm not an optimistic person. And yet I am optimistic about the prospects of the opposition uh, this time around. Uh, This is not to say that I don't lose sleep over concerns about election security. But on the other hand, I think uh, the opposition has done a good enough job And uh, this time, things could be different. And all we need to do as Turkish citizens is to go out and vote. Powerful stuff. Thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take care. You were listening to The Global Gambit. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, subscribe and leave us a review. We would especially appreciate it if you left a comment on why you valued this episode and what you took away from it. Doing so helps us to be discovered by new listeners who would really enjoy our content. Want to support us further? Do so by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the global gambit, where you can get additional perks and even be featured in upcoming episodes. We actively invite you to follow and engage with us on social media at the global gambit. Got any feedback or suggestions, such as potential guests? Get in touch at theglobalgambit at gmail.com. Lastly, don't be shy. Download the Clubhouse app, listen in in real time, and even participate with questions or comments to the guests and host Piotr. But until next time, this is The Global Gambit.